Good morning, everybody. I've got a quick announcement for you before we get rolling. We'll talk about it again at the very end of our time together. Uh, how many of you are basketball fans in here? Like 20? <laughs> basketball is a big deal in this area. If you're not a fan, then maybe you just don't realize where you live. Uh, in fact, uh, basketball is one of the biggest sports in our area, within the high school field at least, especially in the county where I grew up at Southside. And Southside is on the rotation again this year for hosting the the, the finals, like the final four for basketball for our county high schools. Uh, so we are going to ask a favor of you because we've been asked by the school, been asked by their principal who's a member of our church here, and we've been asked by them to serve the community. And let me tell you, this is a part of a segue into something we're going to be doing uh, in a big way in our community with other schools over the next several years. Uh, this is one of the opening windows God is giving us as we've been praying through how we can get more involved in our school systems. And so uh, if you would consider before you leave, there's a sign-up sheet that will be in the back, a couple of them. We're going to ask you to help us. We're going to serve the, uh, the whole county school system by providing food in a room for those who have to go and be there all day and all evening long for the basketball tournament. And our day is Thursday, one of the biggest days of the week this coming week. And so we're asking people to contribute by bringing uh, some type of food, and you can pick it out on the list of food types, write down what you want, put your name, number, and when you're going to drop that food off. Uh, this will be a huge way for us to serve the administrators, the coaches, the referees, the families of all those folks, teachers, as we serve them when they can't get away to participate uh, with their family over a meal. And so we're going to take a meal to them and show them the love of Christ by serving them and giving those who are hungry something to eat. And so if you would help us with that, we really need you to, to help us with that. If you'd be willing to do that, um, and I don't, you can pray about it, but I mean, God says feed the hungry, right? <laughs> They're going to be hungry. Uh, and we're, it's a good way for us to jump in. So there's a sign-up sheet, so it'll be in the back on your way out. If you change your mind to add later when you didn't do it today, you can call our office this week and add it at any point in time. So y'all consider that as we move. All right, you ready to get in the Word today? All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing our conversation, we're continuing our time in the Word over what has been known as the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer where when Jesus was asked in Luke by his disciples, how should we pray, he says, pray like this. Here in Matthew, we don't see him being asked that because it's part of a greater sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, but he does the same thing. He begins by saying how we should not pray. We talked about that last week, and then he jumps into chapter 6, verse 9, and he starts off by saying, pray then like this. And I've had a lot of people ask me how they should pray as being a pastor, being a guy in ministry, as a fellow believer. I've had a lot of people tell me about their ways of praying, and, and I just keep finding myself coming back to the one place where Jesus says, this is how you do it. If you're going to pray, pray like this. And he lays out this, this perfect plan of prayer. Where the first half of this prayer is for us to understand that it, it, prayer and everything else in this world, everything else in this universe is ultimately not about us first. It's about the one who made us and who loved us so much that he gave his son so that we might be brought into his kingdom forever and ever. It, it's about the one who, who gave his own son so that he could live the life that we cannot live perfectly. Even though we are sinners, he came to live that life perfectly, to then die the death that we deserve, enduring all the wrath we should endure for all eternity. Instead, he endured it for us on the cross so that we could be brought into his family, brought into his kingdom, so that we could enjoy him, enjoy one another together forever. 
the praise of his glory and grace in Jesus. That he did that for us. And that first whole section that we're covering right now is talking about that. It's talking about how it's about him and about how we relate to him and how we think about him. And then he's going to get into the things about us as we lean into those next week and on. But for right now, let me just read over these two verses, verse 9 and 10. Let me pray for us, and then let's talk about why this is important and jump into the Word. Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, our Father, actually in the Greek, in the heavens, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. Father, we, Lord, we come before you this morning needing to be reminded that you are our Father. You could have just been our creator, but you sent Jesus to bring us into your family so we could be your sons and daughters because you love us that much even enough that you would send your son to die so that he might bring us into your family. Thank you, Lord. Lord, now as we see how we are to bring glory to your name, we ask that your kingdom would come. Let your kingdom come in this place and around the globe, that your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, help us this morning to see how we should be changed by praying these things, that we might be conformed to your will, that we might be changed, that we might enjoy you more and might be shaped more into the perfect us that we were created to be as we resemble Jesus. Lord, we ask all of that in your Son's beautiful name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look, I don't know about your background. I don't know about everybody in here's upbringing. What I know is that all too often, things we do as Christians, as, quote, believers or followers of Jesus can very easily become rote. They can very easily move into just simple, I'll say this in a negative way for the moment, into a religious kind of way where we just do the thing we've always done. We think if we do this thing, God will be pleased with us and we can go about our day. And when we get into that rut, we've missed the entire point that everything that has ever been done by God in relationship to his creation has been done to bring us into a relationship with him where all the things that have been made wrong by sin entering into the world have been started being righted by what Jesus did so that God can be in relationship with us because he loves us and wants us to be face to face with him. He doesn't want us to just do religious things. He doesn't need that. He's not some type of uh, glory hog in some kind of negative way that needs somebody to make him feel better about himself. He, he is perfectly fine by himself without us. Yet out of the overflow of his love, he created us so that he might love us and give us his love and share that love with us in a plethora of ways, namely in the relationship he has with us through Jesus by his Holy Spirit now and forever to come. And when we approach him... We need to 
remember that we don't approach him in order to just say some words or to, to do our quiet time in the morning, that, just to get that knocked out of the way so that our mind is set right. We approach him to enter into that relationship again every morning, every afternoon, every evening, so that we might enjoy him and recognize his presence as he abides with us, even in us, so that we can walk with him and begin now what we are destined for for forever. Heaven is not about getting to a place. Eternity is not about what's later only. It's about having God with us now. For Jesus says himself in John 17, he says, Eternal life is knowing him and the one whom he sent, that's Jesus, and that starts the moment you become a believer. And if you don't want to get to know him, if you don't want to spend time with him, then you're missing the entire point of what eternity in heaven is all about. It's to be with him him, that he would be our God, we would be his people, that he would walk among us, be with us in our presence. And this prayer is nothing short of us beckoning him in to our presence in a real manifest way, and that he would bring his kingdom here, that his will would be done here as it is in heaven, just like it will be for all eternity once he sends Jesus back. And we're going to break down what this means for us. Because if you say things you don't understand, then we're missing the point. And yes, all of us are saying things when we pray at times. We don't understand the full ramifications of those things. We don't really get every nuance or the depth of all the things we ask for or say. But it is up to us. This is one of the part of our working out our salvation. That, listen, you hear me right. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus earned it all on the cross for us. But we work out that salvation in how we live and how we breathe, how we walk how we talk, whether running toward God or running away from Him, we work out our salvation in such a way that shows us how we are meant to live with Him even now. And so as we pray this prayer, let us try and strive to understand what we are saying so that we might do so with all intentionality, authenticity, in a way that works in our hearts to shape us and change us away from the false self that we portray to other people and living into the right relationship with God that is really who we're meant to be. This will change everything. It should change everything. Pray then like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. This is one of those divine passives where it's saying, God, make your name holy. It's a command, but how dare we command God to do anything, right? It's, it's said in force is the idea here. It's saying, Lord, God, make your name holy. And right behind it, he says in verse 10, your kingdom come. In other words, we might should say it like, let your kingdom come. Please make your kingdom come. Your will be done. Make your will happen here. Make your will happen now on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what will happen. Go to Revelation 21, 22, when heaven comes to earth, a new heaven, new earth, we will see that his will is done all the time. And you can get glimpses of what it looks like in that way as you go back and look through the Old Testament and see how the angels react. And we'll get to more of that in a minute. But let's break it down one piece at a time and let's just see how we should understand these words. Your kingdom come. Let's break this down. God's kingdom is a place where God's rule and authority is acknowledged and welcomed on a regular, ongoing basis. 
His kingdom is a place where his rule and his sovereignty and his authority is acknowledged and welcomed on a regular, ongoing basis. Because he is a holy, that means he is completely other than anything else. Nothing really reflects him as it should in this place that is totally overwhelmed with sin. He is completely different than his creation, completely other. And he is all good, an all good God. And he can be trusted above all other people because he is all good. We can't really fathom that because everybody has a propensity to let us down. But God cannot because he cannot go against his own nature, which is perfect goodness and rightness and holiness. And this means that when his kingdom comes, it will be a place where his rule and authority is acknowledged and not just acknowledged that he is sovereign, but welcomed in by those who see him as he is, those who worship him as he should be worshiped. He knows all things. You know, nothing can escape him. He's all powerful. Nothing can escape his grasp. No one can thwart his ways. And he will surely bring justice when he comes. That's one of the things that we should be fearful of before knowing God in a personal way, that he will bring justice. All the wrongs will be righted. Just as the first ones were done in the garden, we now see that he will, from all time, he'll right all those wrongs. Those who did not receive justice will receive justice at the return of Jesus, the consummation of the age. And he has brought mercy already to us in Jesus that we get to taste of even now as we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as we've met Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've repented and believed in him. For he is good. So we say, your kingdom come. We're saying, Lord, bring your rule. Bring your authority. Lord, come now and bring your authority over me. I will submit to you because you are good. Because you are right. Because you are holy. Because you are just. Because you, above all, are trustworthy. And so when we pray this, your kingdom come, we're saying we welcome your authority. We do not buck authority. How quickly, though, we buck authority by looking and reading Scripture and saying, I'm not really going to do that thing. Yeah, I see that, but I'm not going to make that an important thing for me. But if we are praying, your kingdom come, we're saying we submit ourselves to you, for you are the benevolent, good, gracious king. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, bring the kingdom. God's kingdom is also a place where God's glory is sought by everyone. And right now, we know that's not the case, right? We know it's not happening in this way. The God of the Bible is not being made much of by everyone. But when his kingdom arrives, that is what will be happening. Because you see, when the blind are given sight, they will praise him, for he is the definition of beauty. He is the very essence of the most glorious sight to behold. He is the most glorious, the most deserving of praise and adoration because he is the greatest thing you could ever lay your eyes on. He is the, the most beautiful and glorious, awe-inspiring thing that could ever be imagined beyond our imaginations because they are finite, but he is infinite. When hearts are turned from stone to flesh, as is described in Ezekiel, when those hearts turn from stone to flesh, at that moment, we are filled with awe and wonder. And some of you have tasted of that and have seen it and have felt that manifest presence, and yet now it has begun to elude you over the years or months. And I beg you, the way back into that place is not to seek a high through some experience outside of your relationship with God personally, but to run to Him 
and to be face to face with him and sit in his presence until you see him that way once again. The problem is not that God has lost luster. The problem is not that he is not really as beautiful as we thought he was. The problem is we become distracted with all the junk and let ourselves have too many things in between us and him that we see as lovely when really in comparison to him they are but nothing, but nothing. Those are strong statements. They are right. You see, when your hearts are made alive, when they're taken from stone to flesh, you finally experience true love in a way that you cannot experience here, in a way that all loves here are meant to point to that love. Full acceptance, full grace, full joy, relationally. God's kingdom is also a place where God, his peace and kindness rules in the hearts of all of his subjects. His peace and kindness rules in the hearts of all his subjects. Uh, Listen to me. Some of you struggle in here with anxiety. Some of you struggle in here with fear, maybe even paranoia at times. Some of you struggle in a way, and I'm not telling you that if you just believe enough or have enough faith that it's going to be all made right, or if you pray hard enough it's going to be made right. I'm not telling you that. What I'm here to tell you is that Jesus faced an unimaginable fear for us so that we don't have to face that kind of fear ever if we put our hope in him. That no matter how bad your anxiety, no matter how bad your fear, it could be much, much worse for all eternity, but God sent his son to face what for the first time would be separation from the Father. And he goes and prays before that moment happens on the cross. He says, Father, take this cup of wrath away from me. Take it away. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes back and prays it three times, we see in one of the Gospels. Asking the Father until his heart is made solid with the will of the Father. And he steps out to then face that separation. That anxiety that would have led us into sin of worry and that depth of anxiety and fear It led Jesus to even sweat drops of blood in anticipation of the worst outcome a man could ever face so that he could drink down our anxiety for us. And now there is nothing ultimately to be anxious over because our Father has secured our salvation in Jesus. That means if you're afraid of dying, death has no hold anymore. If you're afraid of what's going to come at you if you make a mistake, that's okay because God has brought forgiveness for those mistakes in Jesus. You no longer have to fear that. No matter what man may bring to you, as it may be overwhelming in the moment, it will not be overwhelming forever because Jesus has secured you for forever. He has taken it away. Grief, despair, some of us stay held up onto those that we have lost and it's hard to see tomorrow. And I understand it's difficult. I do not belittle it any one bit. But I am here to tell you that the perfect father who has always done everything right He grieved the death of his son. He had to send his own son to his death to bring us into the family. And he grieved the death of his one and only son so that we never have to face such depths of grief ourselves. Though grief and despair might come, it should not lead to total despair. Overwhelming grief that is paralyzing because we do not face it alone. And it will not last forever. 
because Jesus has come and has secured our right place with him forever. He will be enough. Even if right now it feels like he's not, that's okay. He is, and he will manifest himself to us, whether in now or tomorrow, but surely in the time to come. And he is enough. He will be enough. The grief will not last. He will wipe away every tear. It will be taken from us for what he has done for us when his kingdom comes. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. God's kingdom is a place where life never ends. You know this. You've heard this. Oh, death, where is your victory? You've heard those lines before. Sickness and death, as real and horrific as they are still now, they have been defeated. We, we just had a beloved sister of ours go to be with the Lord yesterday, a missionary, her whole life given to giving the gospel to people that did not have the gospel in their own language. And she was suffering with sickness, with her eyes going bad, her hearing going bad, but she suffers no more. Her sickness has been healed. She can see perfectly. She can hear the praise of the Lord without problem. And all of our problems, all of our death, all of our sickness, all of our struggle will disappear one day when we stand before the Father as he heals us and takes all those things away. It is hard now, but it will not be hard forever because the rescuer has come and made the way for us oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us victory through our lord jesus christ death has been defeated for us the kingdom of god is at hand let us repent of our sin repent of looking at those things and seeing no hope let us turn to the hope that is jesus and put our hope on him for he alone is the one who can rescue us and he has already done the work we need to turn our eyes to jesus come lord jesus come take us home let us not even taste of death but if we do, Lord, we know that as we breathe out our last, our next breath will be sucking up the, the unfettered, beautiful, overwhelming aroma of praise and worship of the King, which will last forever. Death is no more for us. Oh, death, where is your victory? Jesus has it. Come, Lord Jesus. Pain and suffering, they will surely come. But you do not have to lose heart. You will struggle. But though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, he calls it, momentary affliction. It may seem like it lasts forever. It could last your entire life. It could get worse and worse your entire life. But as we stand in the presence of the one who made us and sent his son to save us, we will see that it was light and momentary in relation to the glory that is to come. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That word glory is oftentimes described as a weightiness. It's the idea of, of God's presence being so weighty on you that it is described as glory, the Shekinah glory, as the, the, the light shining forth from God, the weightiness of his presence. Imagine for a moment, before we get there, just how many of you have seen weighted blankets? Paul, anybody? You may have some. We have a couple in our house. I don't like them. I feel claustrophobic. But they seem to bring comfort to people. Isn't that weird that weight gets on top of you and you feel comforted? 
that's weird to me in some ways, but in other ways, when I think of the weight of God's glory pressing upon us as God's presence is all around us and we feel the weight more and more and more of his goodness and his greatness and his mercy and his love, it will weight down on you into where there is no room left for despair or heartache or suffering or pain. All that will be erased from our memory as we're overwhelmed by the weightiness of his goodness and mercy and love and glory and beauty and on and on and on. Come, Lord Jesus, take that for us that we might be in your presence. Jesus suffered hell on earth for us so that we never have to taste of it. Come, Lord Jesus, take us home. This should be a cry out for us. If you cannot in some ways yearn in your heart for that as you pray, your kingdom come, you are not yearning for the right kingdom. You're not yearning for the king of kings and lord of lords. And yes, we can be like Paul. We say, it's better for me to stay. There's people that need Jesus. I want to see these come to faith. But inside of us, part of us should be yearning for Lord, come now. Your kingdom come. Bring us relief. It's a kingdom of many, by the way. A family, unlike many of ours, without the drama. Without the drama. Amen? That's good, right? Amen? We do not have to be alone anymore, even in the midst of a crowd or a crowded family. If we believe on the king, he gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we will never have to be alone again. And one day soon, he's sending Jesus to come back for us to take us to enjoy his presence fully unhindered by sin so that we can be with him and his people forever relationships will be restored did you hear me those things that have been broken over and over and over again that sometimes feel like they'll never be restored relationships will be restored if god can restore a relationship with us that has been broken by our complete and utter ongoing rebellion against him even after he's brought us into the kingdom He can surely restore our relationships with other fallen people. This is good news. No more backbiting in the home, in the church, in in your workplace. No more infighting. No more misunderstandings. No more wondering if you'll really be accepted if they really get to know you. For you've already been accepted in Jesus. If you will just repent of living without Jesus and believe in him. No more fear of abandonment, for he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can trust him because he always fulfills his promises. Always. Always. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Bring us home. Bring us relief. Bring your kingdom to earth. Your kingdom come. That's also a missionary plea. So we get this right. It's also a missionary plea for the world to hear the gospel and to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Does your heart see the world gone wrong and the countless numbers of men and women, even little children, who have yet to be born again? We see them around us. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying it not just to happen in this way that is outside of us that will come at the consummation. We're praying for it to come right now. And when it comes right now, people come to faith. We're praying, God, use me to bring your kingdom to the earth. 
Now, he's the one that does it, but he can use us in the process as he tells us to go and be messengers of reconciliation. Use me to speak your message of reconciliation as your messenger, as your ambassador, as your ambassador of grace and salvation to the world, to everybody, even those we don't like to talk to. Use us, your church, for for the sake of your glory, Lord. Use me, use us, for the sake of your son's fame, to bring countless others to salvation. That is what we're praying when we say, your kingdom come here. For Jesus says to us, when he's just getting started in the ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, right there he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right now even. That's what's ushering in the kingdom. And what he tells us is that when all ethnes have heard the gospel, he will come back. We do not usher in the kingdom, but we are a part of leading up to that point as he uses us to be missionaries, to be ambassadors wherever we go, messengers of reconciliation. God makes the blind see. Yes, let us pray. God, make the blind see your beauty in us as we are confessional, as we repent. Make the deaf hear your gospel. Turn their hearts to you. This is our prayer, Father. Let your kingdom come. Have you ever thought so much about three little words? Your kingdom come? They are expansive. They are concentric circles that as the the stone strikes the water, they ripple out into the rest of the world from our own hearts. Let us pray these things. And let the Lord come soon. How about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? You know, we don't have to wait until he returns to live out the reality of his kingdom. We've been talking about it a little bit. We're going to go a little further. It was this way already once. What is it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was that way in the garden until the fall, until Adam and Eve chose to rebel. It was that way once. It will be this way in the end, in eternity future, and it can be this way now. This is a prayer for instant obedience. Listen. When he says these words, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is a prayer. Say, your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer for instant obedience, just as the angels obey in heaven immediately. When God says go, they don't wait around until they decide to go. When God says go there and say this, they don't decide if that's what they're going to say. It is instantaneous obedience. It is immediacy. It is yes, Lord, gone to do every time. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that God's will on earth is very much more discussed than it is done, especially in our churches. I'll say that one more time. I'm afraid that God's will on earth is very much more discussed than it is done, especially in our churches. I say especially in our churches because they're not talking about it too much outside of the church. And we talk about it a lot, but how much are we doing it? Your will be done on earth, in me, as it is in heaven. Here, men pick and choose, but in heaven, his will is done absolutely. His will is done in heaven immediately, instantly. But here, it's done, you know, if we agree with it. It's done when we get around to it. Let it not be so. Again, the one who can make it. So, Father, your will be done in my life, in our lives, in your church, as it is in heaven. Let it be done joyfully and tirelessly as it is in heaven. 
not as it often is here, begrudgingly, and as we feel up to it, or if we feel up to it, or if it doesn't interfere with our plans or our wills. Let it not be so, Father. Your will be done in me, in us, in your church, as it is in heaven. It's even done humbly, right? It's done humbly. You don't see the angels trying to get accolades. In fact, the one time John in his vision of heaven bows to an angel, the angel says, get up, don't worship me. I'm not the king. Oftentimes, though, we do something great and good, and we say, look, I did it. Look how far I've come. Or we say, see, I can do it. I thought I couldn't do it, but I can do it. Why is it everyone else just doing this like I am? You see how quickly our hearts turn to making an idol of our own selves, our own actions? We may not say it out loud because we know what it would sound like, but in our hearts, we're worshiping ourselves and our own actions that are worshiping the king who enables all of them and gives us those things. Don't we see how every good thing comes from God? Don't we see how those desires to do good were meant for his glory, not mine? They were given by him to me, to us as a gift. They are not our own. How about this one? But it's easier there in the presence of God, but he is here in our midst now, in no different order. Not only in our presence, in our own Life in our own person. The Holy Spirit dwells in you if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. He empowers us so that we are fully capable here and now to to fight our selfish sin and submit ourselves wholly to God in every moment by His grace for His glory. Let us pray not for what we want above all else, as if our will is greater or better or, or as if we know what's better, as if we know what's best. Like we're all knowing Or like we are the perfectly good ones, but let us pray for God to do his will. And even then, that he would conform our will to his. That's a huge part of, I think, of what prayer is about. To conform our will to his will. In other words, it may sound like this. Lord, please heal my mother. Lord, please heal my son. Lord, please save her soul. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know more. Help me to rely on you and trust in you. Lord, I I know you love them more than I ever could. So I give them over to you, Lord. From my heart to yours. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, if we prayed everything according to this prayer, God, I really want to see this. God, I really hope I can have this. I really want to see these things happen, but your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. It would change everything. Lord, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Your kingdom, your will, come, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Father, we need you. We want this from you. 
Because you have said this is how we should pray. Work in us today to desire your kingdom, to desire your will above our own. Help, Lord. Help us, change us, shape us, make us new that we might we might revel in your glorious grace and beauty and kindness and goodness for you alone are worthy. You alone deserve adoration and praise. It's all about you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in me, in us, in this church, in Gadsden, in Rainbow City, in Southside, in Atala, and all over Etowah County, and all over Alabama, and in the South, and all over the world, as you lead us to give, and to go, and to partake, and to be a part of your kingdom work, for your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth, as it is in heaven. Amen.